Hey everyone, my name is Brian Howard. I'm a Calgary realtor who has sold an average of a house a week since moving to this great city in 2003. And this is Calgary Living, real estate and lifestyle. I'm interviewing Calgary's top performers as it relates to living and lifestyle in our great city. Some of the podcasts will be real estate decisions specific, but most will be about life in Calgary and why we choose to live here, or at least why you should visit. Thanks for tuning in. Hey folks, welcome to another edition of Living in Calgary. My name is Brian Howard, your host. And tonight we have Cal Zorowski on the on the call. Cal, Coach Cal, thank you so much for, well, so much, but for being on the show tonight. Absolutely. I'm, it's a pleasure to be here, my friend. Cal, 10 days ago, roughly, you became a world Ironman 70.3 champion, age group athlete 50-54. Congratulations. Thank you so much. You know, it's been a dream of mine to actually win an Ironman world title. And as we've talked about in another broadcast is I have uh, nine Xterra world titles, but the elusive Ironman world brand, I, I'm, it's a dream for me to win that. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm still happy. I'm still giggling. That is amazing. And I mean, thanks to you, I'm giggling as well. I guess it was how many sleeps ago, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, three or four sleeps ago, myself and Ryan Armstrong, a fellow teammate with Critical Speed, and I traveled to Chattanooga, Tennessee, as a result of Ironman Canada getting postponed and canceled. Mm -hmm. And we both killed the course as well. So we're, we're tickling and extremely happy as well. Yeah, exactly. And watching you guys actually from afar by the Ironman app was just so thrilling to see again, the progress that you made that Ryan made and the technology nowadays to watch somebody race from thousands of miles potentially, but in this case, hundreds of miles away, it was just, it was thrilling. It was really cool to see you do what you did. So we decided to do this podcast a little bit. Well, I wanted to do it to celebrate you. And I think you want to do it to celebrate me and uh, Ryan's, uh, Ryan's achievement. But a little bit more about what we've gone through this pandemic. What have we gone through the last year, two years? And, and sharing with you, oh, you lost your light. That's okay. Um, yeah. And, um, and, and, and share, we're sharing a little bit about, I guess, maybe you as a coach and your mentality. But I wanted to, it, me as a veteran Ironman, having done it, you know, this was my seventh in the last 20 years. My first was 2001. Yeah. But having this newbie, Ryan, his very first Ironman, he finished uh, fourth in his age group in the very competitive age group, 35 to 39. Yeah. And in time of 10.08, having him along with me as a newbie, newbie eyes, and very, very coachable uh, would be your experience. It was like we were, he was a tremendous asset to me. Tell me a little bit about your perspective of you know, our training in the past year and how we were able how we, how you and how we were able to execute these great races in the last 10 days. Yeah. I mean, obviously it took uh, a lot of work. I mean, when we look at a first time iron person like Ryan Armstrong, you know, we started this process say 14 months ago. And during that time we were in the pandemic. So I had to be super creative to create a program that would be suffice and prep in preparing someone for an Ironman, say, you know, when within eight to 12 months, we didn't know sure when the Ironman was going to happen, but you have to believe in that type of training. And we did some training that I would say is, is pretty, pretty advanced in some ways, but most often the training is just kind of the, 
the same repeated thing day after day. It's repeating and it's consistency that's critical for these type of successes. And so you just have to believe in that. And I think what we did was really, really effective. Lots of dry land stuff, a lot of swim band pulls when we weren't swimming. And I think that's the key for both you and Ryan and myself, for that matter, to have strong swims in our races. So we did a lot of the work in the off season. And then when you do have a newbie, and you mentioned this, is that for you and I, who've been in the sport for however many years, we don't want to label ourselves as the old guys, but we've been in this sport for a long time. And we tend to get a little bit complacent about the details and high performance and in, ter- in terms of achievement that, that you did, myself did, and, and Ryan did, it's all about details. So details about execution of the race, details about execution of your training day in, day out, recovery, load, recovery, managing how you feel, what your state is, making changes, always communicating with me is one, one of the big assets that we had working together. We were all very, very close doing a lot of the same workouts. And so I think that was pretty much the model that we were able to achieve what we achieved for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And maybe to, I would like talk to you, like to talk to our audience a little bit. Like my experience um, actually going there again to the to Ironman Chattanooga with Ryan, who came from like a you know sports background, like hockey player kind of guy, always sort of seemed to be the captain or the assistant captain of his team. Meaning, sort of he has a history of being very coachable. So as yeah. a realtor. I've, uh, you know, I, I try to be coachable and I would say that I am coachable, but like not to the extent of Ryan and then for me to experience being with him, sharing a room with him, traveling with him and him just getting it and getting it and getting it in terms of your athletes that you've been working with, you know, maybe recently, how important is it to have that, you know, that athlete be like really coachable and what is actually, what does coachable mean to you as a coach? Yeah. I mean, coachable just is is the state at which they're, they're interested in learning for sure. They're very keen. They believe that they have the potential for greatness and greatness is whatever they feel like they want to achieve, you know, reach their own physical potential, mental potential, that sort of thing. But I think it's just the willingness to learn and to be guided. And, and often, and I certainly don't mind anyone that's willing to actually come back and say, well, what do you think of this? I, I work with my athletes in a way that we work together because it's often sometimes difficult to, to ask people to do certain training loads when they have, you know, responsibilities in life, you know, but in this case, Ryan was definitely full. He was all in, he was committed and commitment is critical for an Ironman athlete for sure, because there are so many moving parts to it. And again, the details are really critical and it, the details, as I said, they're important even in the training cycles and through the training cycles, we also have four seasons, you know, we have the summer of last year and then we had fall Mm -hmm. and then we had winter and then we got back into spring and then right into the race season. So each season had a challenge. And so with a keen first time, what I would say, um, uh, a rookie type triathlete and he certainly didn't perform like neither did you of course you know they they are just so good at at executing the details and that's really where you and I maybe get a little complacent but we have to keep in mind and and Ryan was a good person to remind you and I that those details you can't I mean you get blisters on that run because you forgot to put Vaseline in your socks that's going to make the last 10 or 15 miles very uncomfortable. And you don't want to be thinking about your feet. You want to, both, you want to be thinking about running more mm-hmm. to get finished sooner. And that's mm-hmm. really what Ironman's about. Mm-hmm. 
In, ter- in terms of the success, I mean, you've had lots of success this past four months out of your team, your, 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 you know, our, our, our teammates. What do you think it takes to like uh, have that kind of success that you've been getting actually years and year over year over year? You know, as a, as a, if you if you really want, you know, results again, I, I met you at the world championships in, uh, in Edmonton in 2005, for the first time, you guys seemed like a, a bunch of fast people. And I said, I want to be fast and yeah, sort of yeah. started to, uh, to like rub shoulders with you then and get joined you with, as a, as a coach, you know, soon after, what do you see about the, how do, how, what do athletes do to have that success? Well, they do the work day after day, but then in terms of the, the preparation, like what is the rest, what does a race day execution look like? Oh, race day execution. I mean, it's a list, basically. It's, again, before all the races, these big races, I sat down with every one of you and I basically spelled out the the 48 hours leading into the race, of course. And so the details of what do you do in preparation? How do you get your entire race organized with race bags, the bike bag, the swim bag, all of those sort of things. And those things are pretty straightforward, but but I mean, the details about what do you eat the night before, you know, what do you expect in terms of a sleep? You're not going to sleep well, maybe even not even two nights before. That was my case. Before my world championships, I was extremely anxious and I didn't sleep well leading in. And so you need to realize that it's totally acceptable. You don't need to freak out, but, and you should be able to execute on the day. And then of course the race day itself, there's so many things that you all had to do, particularly in the full length Ironman about eating and drinking and electrolytes and pacing and heart rate and power and all of those specific details. So the successful athlete really can execute those things. They listen to them, they write them down, they memorize them, whatever it is, they put sort of sticky notes, so to speak, on their bike and they they just remind themselves what they need to do in order to get there and they trust in the advice. Now, I always will give a uh, plan A, B, and C because things can go wrong in an Ironman specifically. So, of course, if something goes wrong with your stomach, what is your plan B? All of those sort of things. So being prepared, being prefaced so that you can sort of problem solve on the fly. I'm not there riding with you, that's for sure. And you can't ask me <laughs> when you're out in the, the heat of the battle. So we try to cover all those potential issues that might come up in the race itself. So preparation, execution, And then after that, it's more about letting go, letting go in the race and feeling the flow of the race, so to speak. Don't don't necessarily try to fight to go fast. Going fast is about ease, is about being easy going. Like you really need to get in that flow. If you're pushing too hard, specifically in an Ironman, it always backfires. So when I saw your swim, I went good swim. And then I saw that you rode all the way up to first place in your age group. I thought, fantastic, great ride. Fingers crossed he didn't override. And then when I saw your running pace, particularly after you got past the 10 mile mark, I thought he's on, he's on. He, if he's running this pace, it's perfect. His execution is on. I'm just hoping that he's you know ingesting fluids and, and fuel every mile, that sort of thing that we talked about and pretty much. The rest of it was up to you and the rest of it is cer- certainly mental toughness. And so, you know, that's all you can do is just try to, again, walk an athlete through it. Specifically in Ryan's case, I tried to convey 
what it's going to feel like in an Ironman. And you know, like talk is cheap until you actually do one. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> then you really understand what it's about. Can you tell us a little bit about your race day, your experience? So, I mean, obviously, you, you know, you led up, you had your checklist and, you know, you had, you had some nervousness. It always surprises me that you can yeah. be nervous going into a race. And I know you can be. And that's just, I mean, you're so ultra competitive, I guess, but, but you're, you're following your own advice in terms of checklist, I assume. What happened to walk us through a little bit about your, uh, your swim bike run. Did everything go perfectly as executed or were there things forgotten and you dealt with like the plan B? Yeah. You you know, I think the one thing about racing and and maybe a reason why most people may not want to race is because of the pre-race anxiety and the nervousness. And I think people really enjoy the actual aspect of racing and they love the post-race glory, of course. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if an athlete can handle the pre-race anxiety and all the details that need to be done, often they enjoy racing. And so in this case, I actually had two course records, age group records at St. George. And so I put a lot of heat on myself thinking, okay, I'm, I'm coming into this sort of the number one ranked guy. And that's kind of the wrong thing to do. And I think it heightened my anxiety, unfortunately. And so I really tried to calm myself. And then I really, as soon as you get to race morning, Brian, as you know, once you're at race morning, you're fine, because then you feel like you've got to do certain things. You've got to get up, you got to eat breakfast, you got to do all your business, and you're actually in a state of doing But when the night before, it's a little bit difficult when you're waiting around for the race. And that's where most people don't really enjoy that aspect of racing. Mm -hmm. So my execution was great. As soon as I got up in the morning, I was ready to go. I got on the bus. I went to the race site. I got all the things sort of figured out. I was mentally rehearsing where all my transition bags were. I mean, that was really tricky this year at Worlds. And so I kind of made sure I rehearsed that. I had a great swim. I was right out the front. I had the perfect strategy. I made sure that I was at the front of the line in a seated start so that any swimmer that was faster than me would have to come around me. And that's exactly what happened. I had two Americans swim by me. I got on their feet and I swam roughly 30 minutes for the 1.9 kilometers with a, without a wetsuit. So that's a great swim for me. I was very thrilled. And I think mm-hmm. I was about the eighth fastest swim and then got on the bike and just started to ride as, as smooth and as fast as I could. But you might've heard though, in our race, we had a desert storm blow in and I was think I was 30 kilometers or so into the bike and we had around 60 kilometer wind gusts. We had rain, we had hail, we had sandstorms, we had tumbleweeds blowing across the road. We had just one of these states where it was difficult to keep racing. I was still in race mode. It was difficult to hold air position, but many of the guys that were around me actually pulled off to the side of the road because the wind gusts were so strong, they were getting blown off and they weren't feeling very safe. So that was one of the things where I made the decision that I'm just going to keep racing hard and see if I can push through this. And then we, unfortunately, we had a headwind through the rest of the bike and that's not my strength. So my statistics on my bike, my ranking was a little bit lower than what I would hope for. But as you heard, my run was fantastic. And so the execution was more about making sure that I had the weapon that I normally would have, which was on the run. So I was fifth off the bike I was three minutes or so back from first place and I had 13 miles or 21 kilometers to try to run these guys down. And basically I had the run of my life. I dug in deeper than I ever had and I won by two minutes. And so, you know, there's something about giving all of you've got, you know, and crossing the line And it. Honestly, it wouldn't matter if I won or not. Mm -hmm. I was just so, so thrilled that the, the level of commitment and, 
you know, the discomfort that I endured, I was, I was really thrilled to actually say, okay, that's all I had. And whatever the results were, they were, yeah. you know, so that's what, how it worked. Curious, uh, when you uh, passed the guy who was like ahead of you, was there only one guy ahead of you? And, and did, uh, did you know when you were passing him, like you had him, you knew that guy? Yeah, no, you know, here's the thing, like Iron Man, unfortunately, they did not get their number tattoos or their age group tattoos. And so we were racing completely blind. So for every guy, I'm saying guy, because there was no women on the course at the time. Mm -hmm. For every guy that I passed, I had no idea what age group they were in. There was right. no indication of their age group on their calves. And so you were literally doing your own personal time trial. Right. So I just knew that for every person that I would pass, potentially could have been someone in my age group. And I really didn't know that I was fifth off the bike. I thought it oh, could have been 10. No idea. Had no clue. I was just running as blind as I possibly could. But you know, going as hard as I possibly could. And, and really, you don't want to have any regret, right? You want to be in a position where you're going to go and give everything you possibly can. And then in the end, uh, I was fortunate enough to win. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Did, did you, were you hoping that you'd know someone or like have a volunteer on the course to let you know where you were and you didn't have that, it sounds like, or what, like you didn't see them. Can you share with that? Yeah. You know what? It's always nice to have a partner or companion on the course, giving you some feedback. I mean, today's technology with the Ironman app, they should be able to log in quick and give you uh, feedback. But in this case, I didn't have anyone. So, you know, you just can't use that or, or say that that's a disadvantage. Like you just have to go and race. And for that matter, even if I would have got the feedback, I don't think I could have gone any harder, Brian, to be honest. Like right. if someone said, you're two minutes back, you can catch them. I, I wouldn't have had another gear. I was going as absolute as hard as I possibly could. So that's the way I viewed that. And I thought about that. I wish I could have had somebody out there spotting for me, but I thought, you know what, don't let that bug you. You just go out and race every moment that I had on that course. I was going basically as hard as I could have. Yeah. Right. When I was, uh, so it was a two lap run course for ourselves. And mm -hmm. I, at the, at the second lap, I heard from friends that I was in first place and I had, I had no idea how, how high the lead or what the lead was. And of course, there, and there was no tattoo marking. And, and I got passed really by one guy who I was a little nervous because he looked as old as me. And I was like, so when I crossed the finish line, I didn't really know. And I tried to respond to that guy. It was a three, a two or three miles from the finish line, but I had nothing in me. Like I was just, you know, I was not responding. In the end, he was age group younger. And yeah. so interesting. And how about yourself, Cal? Do you use, um, like, do you use a heart rate monitor? Do you use a power meter? What are some of the, and, and did, did they work if you did use them? You know what, Brian, I'm a rare kind of uh, racer. I don't even wear a watch, especially in Xterra because the, the watch data doesn't mean anything in Xterra. But in this case, you know, I, I still didn't really wear anything. I didn't work for heart rate. I have a good sense of, of my own pacing and, and effort level. I didn't even have a power meter on my bike. I was basically riding within my own limits. And the race, the race changed so much again, when the winds changed and that storm blew through really, whether or not you had a power meter or anything, you were just kind of managing the, the environment in the, in the crosswinds. And so, and then when I headed out on the run, I knew I was running strong. I didn't really know the pace, but of course, St. George's run course, I think there was a 1200 feet of vertical gain and loss on it, which is substantial over 21 kilometers. And so mm -hmm. 
you know, you're going slow up, but as long as you keep moving forward and you're still running and then on the downhills, I was letting it go. I was running five 30 minute miles, probably on the downhills. Wow. Um, yeah. And so I averaged out almost running seven minute miles on an extremely hilly, uh, 21 kilometer loop. So I race on heart, I guess is what mm. I'm saying. I know I've done the preparation. I kind of have a good feel for what power zones they would be. I don't look at heart rate. I just go now to qualify that though, when the distance goes to the full Ironman, like you guys did, I think heart rate and power guidance is critical, but the 70.3 distance in my mind is just, it's long enough that it gives you that endurance component, but also it's short enough that you can actually go pretty hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's just my example. But remember, I have 35 years of racing in my in my repertoire. So I'm just a rare person that way I get I get the feeling of racing. But for a rookie, definitely um, data guidance would be really critical. Yeah. I haven't yet shared with you. So I was hoping to, to train with, or I trained with power for the past year. And then mm -hmm. the, on the bike, my power meter, actually over the last 10 days prior to the race, my power meter seemed to be in and out and not working that well. And yeah. at kilometer 19 on the bike, it stopped completely. Um, so, and uh, so I, and I was, you know, I had an idea of intention of what power I would hold, but yeah. in the end, you know, I guess I think it was experience. So I was like, okay, I kind of know what it is. Yeah. And then, but going by feel and heart, I got passed by two guys on the bike. Uh, like at some point, maybe it was 80 K in or something yeah. or a hundred. And then I, I let them go and I still regret letting them go. <laughs> but in the end, Probably I wouldn't have gone. I wouldn't maybe had a successful as a success, a successful run. So yeah. fine enough. Yeah, that's that's very true. Like sometimes you'll expend it or burn what they call a match on the bike, and who knows what that could mean on the run. And I think the way you executed your bike, if I were to look at a power trail trace, in this case it was kind of funky. We would hope that your power was just steady and consistent all the way through the bike with not many spikes, mm -hmm. if you want to call it that. And then the run, it's just a matter of the more the run. The more you run, the sooner you're done. That's all there is to it. That's a good mantra, actually. It is yeah. actually very good. Yeah. Well, uh, Cal, the night before the race, I kind of threw out in our Critical Speed uh, Racing Team Facebook group some mantras that, you know, might be helpful. And I know, like, people say, you, you know, race your own race or whatever. But I find other people's advice. And I want to thank you for your mantra that day. Ryan and I kind of repeated it. But I think we both stuck in our heads. When others are fading, dig deep. And yeah. uh, that worked for me on Sunday. So yeah. thank That's you for that. True. That's what makes the difference with you versus your competitors, for sure. Because you know that you're all in the same hurt locker, so to speak. But that's when you feel that you need to believe that you have an advantage. And that's you have to embrace that and you have to actually accept it and actually try to go even deeper into that well. Because that's when people are going to give up or start walking or whatever it is. And that's where you're going to make the move, you know. So and you guys did exactly that. It was good mm -hmm. to see well, thank you. Cal, I guess when, you know, uh, I think you have a swim practice to get to any last yeah. thoughts or, you know, I want to say just kudos, so happy to see you doing the, uh, you know, get that world championship. I think you're hoping, or we're all hoping that uh, the Xterra world championships happen in December in Maui, where we're, I'm going to be there with you, where I'm going to be cheering you on for your 10th, I hope 10th world championship, age group yeah. world championship in Xterra. Is that going to happen? Do you think? Well, right now, I think they're going to make an announcement on the 8th of October. And so they are still looking or suggesting that it's very promising. So, and I would agree, it would be a real coup for me to actually win a world title at the Ironman 70.3 distance and then follow it up with an Xterra. And in your case, winning your age group in an Ironman event, and then hopefully at Xterra Worlds. 
So, but you know, high performance, it's tricky. I mean, you have to make sure you do the work and the preparation and plan it all. And as we talked about, look at all the details, but on race day, anything can happen. And, you know, the, the true mark of a champion is repeatability. Can, can a champion repeat? Sort of like you going back to the same Ironman in Chattanooga, can Brian Howard win his age group again? Mm-hmm. And my question to you, though, actually, my friend, is why don't you tell the listeners what your thoughts were about you qualified for the most prestigious ultra endurance event on the planet, Ironman Kona, and you turned it down. Can mm-hmm. you say a few words about that, my friend? Well, you know, I like most triathletes, uh, you know, the want to have a dream, like if they're doing Ironman distance to potentially uh, qualify and get to Kona. And I did it when I uh, started racing training with you in 2007, I was six and we had a great group in your club. And uh, I got there in 2008 and came third at Ironman Canada and the age group, sort of the 40 to 45 group and got to Kona. And I went hard in Kona and I wondered if I could do well. And you know, I didn't have, it was six weeks after Canada and I had a sub 11 hour day there, but you know, just there's nothing in terms of uh, Mark. So I don't want to go again to uh, Kona. I want to do Ironman every five years. I want to always train to train to win. So train as best I can with the goal of a podium finish, not win podium finish. Yeah. And, and so, yes, I can go to Kona or I could have gone. I turned away this but because I'm not prepared to go to, to win Kona at this point, but yeah. I would like to someday. So would that be, might be in the 70 age group or the 90 age group or yeah. the hundred to 105 year age group? We'll see. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I'm waiting until I get into that 70 age category until I even contemplate going up to the Ironman world championships with the goal of maybe being on the podium, because right. in my mind, that's just not my expertise. And I don't feel confident that I could have done that type of performance. Mm-hmm. So, but who knows, as we get older, right, the uh, the age group becomes a little smaller, right, Brian? Right. Well, <laughs> and, but the other thing is we get the we gain this fitness from training in the sport of triathlon. Yeah. But then there's so many more things things and fun things to do like well where we live there's mountains to be explored so my uh, next year focus will be more on you know our mountains nearby versus having to train another year for a Kona yeah I'm with you too next year I'm taking a little bit more of an adventure year of of as opposed to high performance racing and and results I agree Mm -hmm. with you I'm with you for sure yeah Cal congratulations any last minute thoughts you want to share with your audience and how do people best reach out to you yeah, I mean, if they have any questions or comments or they're looking for some guidance in their endurance coach realm and in their performances and such, they can reach me at coachcal at criticalspeed.com. Even if you just Google Coach Cal, you'll find me. And other than that, let's all stay healthy. Let's stay safe. Let's stay consistent. Let's do our training with a smile and let's um, make sure that we have great people in our lives. And that's really what it comes down to. Absolutely. Thanks for being on the show, Cal. Thanks, Brian. Cheers. See you soon, my friend. Absolutely. Well, folks, that wraps up another edition of Calgary Living, Real Estate and Lifestyle. I'm your host. My name is Brian Howard. And I'm wondering, who do you know who needs to be on the show? You can reach out to me. You can find me on Insta, Calgary underscore living. You can Google me, Brian Howard. Or send me an email, Brian, that's spelt funny, B-R-Y-O-N, at thehowardteam.net. Thank you so much for tuning in and spending some of your time with me.